0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. Let's, um... Let's pray. I want to pray first thing. And, um ask God to bless us and be with us touch us hallelujah father we thank you this day we love you we thank you for everything you've done father we ask you in Jesus name that you would anoint our efforts Lord God that you would anoint our mind for father we gather with a purpose Lord God and that you would touch us Lord God that you would strengthen us that you would plant this word in us that we could hear and understand and retain your holy word God that is our goal that you would anoint us with strength, Lord God, and with wisdom and knowledge from this precious word. Touch everything we do or say. For, Father, I know that we can accomplish it through your word and through your anointing. Have your way. And, Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, turn with me and let's read two verses in um, Hebrews. I'll read uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 in that is where i'll start and i'll just tell you my title i will take from hebrews and i will just call it the race the race that we have hebrews 12 and 1 it says "Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, normally, when it comes to a race, the two words that you don't put in the same sentence is patience In a race, because that is one thing that the races that we're used to just in natural life, a race is full out, you just give it, as we would say, you just put it on the floor and you hope for the best, but Paul says, speaking of this Christian life, you must have patience, and I was listening to a sermon, and uh, this applies not to our pastor, but this gentleman says it like this he asked for a show of hands and it was something like on the sword of uh you know raise your hand he said what about your other hand is it broke too but uh <laughs> I, was, I was listening to this guy but really and truly patience is not what we think of when we think of a race and just so i'll give you one analogy and then i'll i'll leave motocross alone but this um, I think I have mentioned this one time before, but it is Paul, I say Paul, and if you don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews, then I, I'm with you. We really don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I'll just try to say the writer of Hebrews. But um, it says, the race that is set before of us, each and every one of us has an individual race that we must run. And... I know when riders, I'm speaking of dirt bikes now, when they're riding, their dad, most likely, or their mechanic, but most points it's their dad at this point, when they are racing um, and they get too involved and if they're leading the race, what's happened is the guy in second place comes up and challenges the leader and as the race is progressing, these two starts jockeying for position and number two starts trying to pass number one and what he starts to do, he starts trying to defend his position and by this time his dad is just going crazy because it's not as, as you would think, it's not what he has taught him to do. So his dad takes a pit board and he writes three words on there. And when his son comes by or daughter, when they come by, he, these three words read this, race the track. So what he is telling his uh, child is you have let this race become personal. What this race has become to you, you are block passing this individual that come up and you have become consumed with with just defending your what you think is your league and you are losing ground. And another thing that parents teach their children that I have seen uh, numerous times is the rider in third place win the race because what they teach their children to do if you see this happening do not challenge them you just hang back because most likely what they're going to do is take each other out and when they do you third place is going to win the race so um, that analogy I think um, we can apply believe it or not to our Christian race. That's why Paul said, or the writer said, don't compare yourself among yourself. We have this race that is set before us because ultimately when it comes down, um, if, if you start comparing your life to someone else or we never, you know, most likely, we never say someone's life is harder uh than us most like they got it better than us and then if you continue on with that analogy for long you just say you know i don't understand it they have it so good and i have it so bad and then if you just keep following that road for long to me my opinion is if you just keep doing that for long well who has the ultimate authority here god does then if you just keep going and you just keep getting up day by day, you know, I have it rough, but they have it easy. Because I think in the end, you will be challenging God. But God, you have the one that has determined my race. So therefore, you would be charging God foolishly. And I think that's why in Job it said he charged not God foolishly. God, uh, Job didn't say that, you know, well, Lord, everybody else hadn't had their children killed. I believe that's what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of in reference to Job, that he just kept his mouth shut. He didn't charge God foolishly. He didn't say, I am being picked on. You know, no matter what our life brings to us, you know, I for one do not believe in fate. I believe that we get up. God has designed a course for us. And I believe that course can be altered by how close we get to God. And because, and somehow, some way, you know, there, I have said it this way. There's things that land on our doorstep we didn't ask for. Uh, we think, where did it come from? Some things land on our doorstep, doorstep that is not going away. We must deal with it. And I cannot say, you know, God, why did you let this land on my doorstep? You know, it is just the will of God. And therefore, I have got to learn that God has everything in control and not just be to the point that I have to say, you know, well, Lord, everybody else has it so easy, but look what I'm going through. That's not the point. The writer says we have a race that is set before us And the only way I'm going to win this race is to win it with endurance. Get up. That's why the Bible is full of 24-hour cycles. Really and truly, that is all we are required to handle. You get up. You, God, give me this day, my daily bread. Get up and look for today. You pray for today. That's why God said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow take care of itself. You pray for Today. You ask God to cover you with the Holy Ghost today. You ask God to strengthen you for today. Anoint me, God. Help my path. Set my path for today. And in doing so, therefore, God is the ultimate one that's going to set this path. And at the end of the day, I don't have to wonder, mercy sakes, look what happened to me today. You know, I don't have to go to bed like, why did this happen? No, in the morning when my cycle started, I got up and I said, God, you are the one in control. Help me, God. Help me in the name of Jesus that no matter what comes my way, the race that is set before me to help, give me the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to cope with whatever is gonna come my way because I don't know what it's gonna be, but one thing about it, God truly knows what is going to, I'm going to have to face. Now, in reading the two scriptures that I just read, uh, Hebrews 12, one and 2, really, to, truly, to get the full impact, you should really read all of Hebrews 11, all through the whole chapter. Really, because it says, seeing where about compassion, well' such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, and this is, it says, the, the Bible calls them witnesses, what they are not is spectators. These are witnesses, just as the Bible calls them. So they are not just the ones, as some said, hanging over the balcony cheering us on. That they are not. What they are, these are just a few that we have a written account of things that they have went through. Life, circumstances that has been put down in God's holy word. That, in other words, they're saying, you know what, I've been there. And I went through it. And how I went through it was by the grace of God. Because God helped me. This is what God helped me to go through. It's a written account that lets us know that we're not by ourselves. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, God has this holy book full of situations that we find ourselves in that we can go to. These are the witnesses that we can go to and read. That's why it says that we have these witnesses and they, in, in that, that they offered. It says that we have now some that we have a couple of them. I just want to mention I'm going to jump back to. Two that it mentions, it mentions Cain and Abel. But what I want to do in the, in the account, it, it reads by faith. But what I want to do, I want to go to Genesis and read the actual place that it's referring to. It's Genesis 4, and I want to read um, Genesis 4, 1 through 6. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass, and Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance uh, fallen? So he asked him right then. Now, where it says that Abel also brought of the firstling of, uh, of the flock and the fat thereof, this was not just where it says the firstling of his flock. Cain didn't take, now there was the, the firstlings of the flock, This was not the first one that Cain went out there and just picked of the firstling of the flock. He literally brought the fattest and the best of the firstling of the flock. So he didn't just take a skinny one standing over here just because it was the firstling of the flock. He literally picked the best of the firstling of the flock. That is what he offered unto God. So, but what he done... And Cain offered the fruit of the ground. So what he done, he took this. Now, what we have here, and this this is just left up to, I guess you would say, just interpretation, but this much we do know. This right here where it says in verse um, three, process of time, how much time? We don't know. That Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and and. Uh, of the ground and offering unto the Lord. This is the first recorded offering made or sacrifice ever how you want to put it, made unto the Lord. This is the first recorded in the Bible. Now and it was rejected the first literally offering I'm not saying Adam and Eve didn't offer them I'm just saying in the Bible this is the first one made unto the Lord in the Bible and it was rejected. Now But I want you to notice, the Lord distinguishes both Cain and Abel, but he distinguishes both that he rejected Cain and his offering. And when it speaks of Abel, he accepted Abel and his offering. Now, the Lord distinguishes that. So I just want you to notice. Now, in this, this is another thing that I don't really understand, but I will just pass it along to you. In the Bible where it says that she, in verse one, and, and where she bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, the very first man. Cain means, his name means possession. I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have gotten a possession. Okay, now I, from Cain to Abel, I don't, know what, I don't know what went wrong. But when you look up Abel's name, what it means? It means vanity. Now I don't know if it was just of them being uh, kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I don't know what what went wrong for them to name Abel a name that meant vanity I don't know I really I, I just I don't, I don't have an answer for that um, but his name literally meant vanity so here's Abel but he takes and the Bible says he the firstlings of the flock. But the Lord had respect unto him and his offering. Now, I have said, but I have thought about it. I was speaking to someone and I said, the reason that God rejected Cain was because he brought of the fruit of the ground and he brought something that God had already cursed, meaning the ground. But I thought about that, you know, and... And I, I'm not really sure about that. And just I'm just thinking out loud, just being honest with you. Really and truly, at this time, the writer of Hebrews says it was by faith that Abel brought his. Now, at this time, I think it's really not uh, specific in what they brought, but the attitude in which they brought it unto the Lord, that is what I really believe. Not that God had cursed the ground and, and Cain had brought the fruit of the ground. And I'm not totally against that. But I believe it's the attitude because here again I'm just speculating. But what I believe that there was days that after this, while they named Abel vanity, that sometimes they would just sit around and then said we was in a place of pure paradise. God would come down and you just ought of been there. And they put something in that son that they named vanity, just a longing. They created such a desire in him that when it come time for Cain and Abel to submit this offering, that he just had such a desire, I wanna do this. And with respect, he brought his offering unto the Lord. And the God who looketh on the heart Cain just says, and we still deal with this today. And that's why I'm mentioning this. This attitude hadn't went away. I will just bring what I want to and I will offer it as I want to. So he offered this, Cain. And God who sees a heart said, no, I will not reject, I will not only reject you, I will reject your offering. So Abel had his, him and his offering was accepted. So that's what happened. And then that's why the writer of Hebrews said that it was offered and it was offered by faith. That is why God accepted it. I don't even know if you would have asked at this time, I don't know if you would have even told Abel that you are offering your sacrifice by faith. He probably wouldn't even have understood what you were saying. But it was a respect of what his parents told him Of the way that it used to be. That he had such a respect of what his parents was telling him. That Cain did not. It says Cain was a tiller of the ground. And even though they named their son Vanity. He says I long for that. That which you've told me of. I pick up something in your voice of how it was when God came down. And that just that longing I hear in your voice. I want that. So when he offered it to God, God said, I see that in you. You might have been named vanity, but I feel that in you. And that right there is enough for me to accept you. And he did. That's why the writer of Hebrews says what he offered, he offered in faith. And he did. Now, in the Bible where it speaks of, turn with me and I want to read in um, 1 Samuel this, in First Samuel, I'll read uh, one verse, First Samuel 13 and um, 14. This is speaking of Saul and David. First Samuel 13 and verse 14, "But now thy kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart." And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, pure and simple, in the Old Testament, all God really wanted was for someone to take him at his word and live according to his commandments. That's what God really desired and desired of his people. Now, here in the 13th chapter, we find... That he's taken and the where the Bible says that he, the Saul I'll say it like this Samuel has commanded, and he's acting in the role of a priest here. He has commanded Saul to wait seven days so he could come. Saul was wanting to go to battle. Samuel told him, I am the priest, you're the king, you are to wait seven days. The priest is to do the offering. So he didn't wait. And then he tells him, he says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue for the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Now did you know the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart? That phrase right there is only attributed to one man, period. One man. And that man was David. And that's only contributed to him, to David, it's the Lord has sought, and it, that phrase is attached to David. Now here, Saul being the king, why he thought he could go in and fulfill the role of a priest, because where he tells, us, um, Samuel tells him a little bit later, thou hast done foolishly, that's why the Bible says call no one a fool. When the Bible speaks of a fool, that is a very serious term. So for Samuel to tell Saul, thou hast done foolishly, he's telling him, you have really messed up. When you took your place out of a king and put your position in the role of a priest, God ain't gonna let that go. So he took and he did this. And then uh, Saul goes out to meet Samuel as if everything's okay. It's just like nothing is wrong. But he tells him, That is why he has really crossed the line. And in 1 Samuel 15, that is where he takes and tells him to obey is better than sacrifice. Because in 1 Samuel 15, that is when Samuel is acting the role, in my words, as a prophet. Because God said, tell him, I do not care how much he brings back. I said, destroy all the Amalekites. I don't care how much sheep he brings back, I'm not gonna accept none of them in a sacrifice. That's why Saul said, you tell him to obey is better than sacrifice because I don't care how many sheep he sacrifices, I will not accept none of his sacrifice. Here again, Saul is out of the will of God so here is these heroes that we read of, and all of them we can take bits and pieces from and learn from today. So now Samuel and the role of a prophet is speaking as, as God to him and telling him, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Saul. You have missed it again. Really, to obey is literally better than sacrifice because I am not going to accept it. The Bible speaks of, and look with me in St. Matthew, the 10th chapter and the 34th verse. I'm gonna just read one word, or excuse me, one verse. The Bible says, the Lord speaking, he says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth, but I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, what the Lord What I think of when he he speaks of I came not to send peace but a sword. I think, in other words, this is the sword I think he was speaking of because the Bible, his word, his truth has divided so many lives, so many families. It is just when you stand for the truth that's on God's word, even your own family would disown you. Because I, God said, it's, when you think, well, man, I, I'm going to church. I'm doing what the Bible said. Surely family won't on me. Well, you're kidding yourself. The traditions of man, they will take over the word of God. And God said, I didn't come to send peace. I came to send a sword and this is. To me, this is the sword that he sent. He sent his word. It's gonna cut, and it's gonna cut deep. So he said to do this, and that is why I say the spirit of Cain, I'm gonna do it my way. It does not matter what this word says, but I'm gonna do it the way, and I'm gonna present it. But that's why I say we have to be careful in making a offering, because literally when you read of the Lord in his ministry, he started his ministry, and he ended his ministry with the cleansing of the temple. so making an offering to the Lord is very serious because he started and finished it with that, so that is why that we when we do an offering, we have to be careful about how we present it, because not only will God reject us, you know and it doesn't matter that God said your ties." was 10% and I gave them anyway. Well, I could be kidding myself because if I gave it the wrong way, God would not only reject me, but he doesn't have to bless my tithe just because it is 10%. That's why I have to be careful and and present it in the right way, present it to God, present it in the right way. And the Bible tells us that it says that we are compassed with this Great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. Now, what these people did is they testified of their own experiences. There's just a few here, but we have them on record. They are wrote for our benefit, for us to go read about. When our lives are seemingly overwhelmed, we have them that we can go read to, and we have them that we can go look at. Where it says, lay aside every weight um, when Brother Herndon was uh, just made reference just recently about the man with the sand in his shoes, I went to him. I said, "I said, man, I'm gonna have to use that." I said, "So, I'm on. Uh, that's just I, I knew that with the Lord's Lord's will, I, I wanted to to make reference to this. But where he talked about the man that made the great distance walking, and then with all the calamity the man had in his life, and then the only thing he said literally bothered him was the sand." in his shoes, and uh, to me, you know, everybody's different, you know, Um, but the way it it, it related to me is knowing that I wanted to speak on this, it says, lay aside every weight, okay, the man walking, and the only thing that bothered him was the sand in his shoes, okay, me, um, in in biblical terms, that's the way I would want to think, what are we made of, the dust of the ground, Lay aside every weight. So what bothers us is just literally our own nature. The tiny parts of our own nature. And I thought, the man with just the little tiny drops of the granules of sand. And I thought, you know, that's true. And some people has tried to, you know, differ that and said, well, it says weights and it says sins. And I've always looked at that. I said, no, the weights is what becomes the sin. You've got to deal with the weights because it's going to become a sin. So here is the, the, the thing, and it says, which so easily uh, besets us. Now, it says, and the sin which so easily besets us, okay? That, the sin which does so easily beset us, all right? Believe it or not, that's all one word. In the Greek, that's all one word, and what it means is literally, when you look that up in the Greek, what it means is literally to surround. Literally, we are surrounded, and it's the truth. Sin is everywhere. And the writer told us the sin which so easily besets us. And he used this analogy. It is everywhere. You are surrounded by sin. That is why I said, you know that song that, that we sings, Cover Me?, That's what I like about it. You know, because not that we are just poor individuals in Christ. No, we are not, you know, we're not unlearned when it comes to the enemy. God says for us to pray ourselves covered with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because sin is everywhere. The sin which so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now patience, nobody wants to talk about patience. Lest of all me. We are the ones that type on the microwave. It's not fast enough. You know why somebody hadn't come out with something faster than a microwave, I don't know. But we just want something uh the microwave anymore is not fast enough. We want something faster than a microwave. We just it's not quick enough. And it's the truth. We just want something and the race that is set before us as an individual, as long as I can keep that in perspective, that it is the race that has been set before me, I'm not being picked on. Sometimes I, if, if I find myself thinking, well, I don't understand. I really don't understand. Why am I having to go through this? I have to watch that literally as an individual. We must guard against that because literally the Bible says that we have a path, a race. The Bible calls it a race. We have this path that has been set before us. Now, if you just never prayed another day in your life, I don't know what would be the outcome. I believe that path can be altered and I believe you can pray, you can pray in the will of God, you can ask God to guide you, to give you wisdom and knowledge to know what to do and I do believe that path can be made easier but when that path is seemingly not, to our eyes, made easier, you know, really and truly how much, I'm not saying we shouldn't care but that is why that I read the last time Job said, just hush to his friends, basically just hush your mouth and let come on me what will. That is a confidence in God. That is saying, I believe God, my path is set, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna believe God and whatever comes, I know God is gonna have to okay it. So this race that is set before us, that I have to run, I have to believe God. God. I'm not only have to uh, say I'm a Christian, I have to live like I'm a Christian and believe God. And then not when seemingly something goes wrong, you know, just get all fuzzed up and say, well, where was God at? Well, God ain't never left. He had never left. No matter what my eyes are seeing, God had not never left. And he loves us just as much as he ever have. That's why I believe that we should pray and ask God to touch us no matter what we're looking at because God God hadn't left us and he never will that we are truly to lay aside every weight. Now, the Bible says looking, looking unto Jesus. Uh, I looked up that word looking. It's only used one time, one time in the Bible, looking unto Jesus. Now, I wrote this down And I'll just, this what it says. It says to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something. I thought, man, how true is that? Living, especially us, living in a world where there's so many distractions. And there's just, that is why preachers have screamed their lungs out. What you hear and what you see. And people almost anymore just act like they're crazy. And they have just preached Christians to death. What you see and what you hear is so important. But just in a world, with was just so many distractions. And he's telling us, looking unto Jesus, fix your eyes on him and do not let the distractions avert your eyes away from him. And it's so easy to do. It is so easy to do. I mean, you just it's just said, look, fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord. And then he said, the author and the finisher of our faith. The word finish is only used one time in the Bible. The word for finish. He is literally used one time, meaning that he is able to complete it all. And the Bible says, Who for the joy that was set before him? Now, this is just my thought on that. Who for the joy that was set before him? The only way I can reason this. Who for the joy that was set before him? What I love about God, if there's, I really wish I had the mental capability to understand time more. I really, really do, and I'm not kidding. But what I, a little bit, I think I do know, one thing I love about God is we only can see with a start and a finish, but who for the joy that was set before him, God sees with no boundaries. So here is the eternal God before a body was even begotten. Who for the joy that was set before him. So here in the eons of time, way before, God seen the end result of this. And he's seen after millennial reign when all everything is over and heaven is completely starting. That is the joy. God's seen it from the very beginning. It's the way I would look at it. Who for the joy that was set before him. So God knew before this time even started, he knew what he was going to have to go through, what he was going to have to endure for the joy that was set before him. That's why it said endured the cross. He knew the pain and suffering. After he over after the Holy Ghost would overshadow Mary, he knew the pain and suffering that was going to uh, be on him and what he was going to have to go through. He endured the cross, despising the shame, He knew what it was going to bring. But he still for the joy that was set before him. That is why he did it. Because he knew that there was going to be a group of people that was literally going to do what I believe he wanted people to do, to take his word and to take it as an absolute. Not as just, well, I'll tell you what I think. No, this word is absolute. It is yea and nay. And amen. So that's why it says, in despising the shame, it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sees the end. He sees it and knows everything that there is. Now, literally, I do believe all that God wanted is for someone just literally to take him at his word. David was a young man when God said, I want a man after my own heart. And then he was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse of Bethlehem. And I believe that's why God said, you go to him and you take. And for I have provided in him, I have provided me a king, speaking of him. And David was the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth of the land of Moab, but when you, think, when you think about Ruth, it was when she had left, or when she was going to leave, after her husband died, she had literally no connection with Naomi. What connection she had, had died. So at this time, at this time, Ruth literally, here God has literally said the curse that I'm putting on the Moabites is going to be from now on. But here's Ruth that says, you know what? From now on, your God is going to be my God. And I think that was literally the changer with God. Because here is Ruth Was she gonna stay with her people or was she gonna go with Naomi? So she was leaving everything that she knew and she was coming. She didn't have nothing but God. That's all she had. And she came. She left her family and she came to Judah. And then Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the Bible tells us, she saved her house. And she showed compassion and gave refuge to God's people. And I want to read in... I'll read one verse. It says it like this. In Joshua 2.19. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee and die in the house... His blood will be on our head, and if any hand be upon him. Now, this is, I jumped right in the middle of the story, but this is the spies, and God was saying, and I believe God is still holding this true today. He sent the spies, and here God took a woman, and he says through the spies, you send, you find her, and it all starts out literally that we have heard. We have heard of what God has done. So the spies tell her, you go get your family, everybody else. But this is, this is the only, only thing. When they come into your house, if they go out, the blood's gonna be on their head. But if they stay, God is saying, I will protect them. The blood's gonna be on my head. So I still believe that today. This word is truth. And God is saying, if you leave this truth, not if you leave this church, if you leave this truth, your blood's going to be on your own head. For God has said, and he went all the way back, and the reason I said that is because God was designing him a bloodline, and it started with Rahab. And that's why God said of David, I have provided in him a king. And so, and I will end with Hebrews eleven forty. It says it like this Hebrews eleven, the very last verse of forty. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, where it says God having provided mean to foresee. God having provided to foresee. Now, where it says that he provided, he looked all the way back. Why, there is no beginning and ending with God. He provided, and Revelation says it like this, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's what he provided. God knew this from the very beginning. And then it says, that they without, they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, they without us should not be made complete. We have their record. and And so them, us and them, we're made complete. Because literally, we are the last dispensation. Literally, we are the last. So we have this race that is set before us. We all can be victorious in this race. God has given us the opportunity to. We have it. The Bible, one thing that they say when you're reading in the 11th chapter is one thing they did that I love is stop the mouth of lions. And what does it say our enemy is? As a roaring lion. And that's one of the things they did. So, we have the potential to literally run this race. But, as a writer says, speaking to the microwave generation is going to take patience. Hallelujah. Let's stand. God bless you.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.